you for welcoming us to uh, to feast this morning on your word. Thank you for that, that you have a fresh and living word for this community in this particular place in this particular time. So, Lord, open our ears. Holy Spirit, come and open our ears that we might hear all that Jesus has to say to us in his word this morning. In his mighty name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning, everyone. Is everybody happy? Happy to be in the presence of the Lord? Are you excited about being a part of God's plan for the world? Yeah? I hope so. You should be really excited about that. I know I am. Um, there's lots of end times talk going around in Christian communities. Um, and I want to just remind us that the Bible, the Bible reminds us again and again that when it comes to end times and the last days and things like that, that we are to kind of read the signs of the times and to be prepared. But the Bible reminds us over and over that we're not to be so much fascinated by the details of the end of the world and timelines and all those things. We're supposed to be focused on how to live as we await the return of our glorious King Jesus Christ, who will establish his domain on this earth once and for all time. Okay, so we're not going to uh, we're not going to kind of fall into that. Well, I think, you know, there's in 37 days we should start setting up a camp in the back because if you do the timelines of the Bible, no, none of that. When when uh, Jesus was meeting with his disciples after he was raised from the dead and he was about to ascend and uh, they were very concerned, they said, now is it the time that the, the king that the kingdom of Israel is going to be restored? And his response was not like not no uh, in 38 days that's going to happen. His response was that's not for you to worry about what I'm worried about. What you need to be worried about is being my witnesses. And you're going to be clothed with the power of the Holy Spirit to go into the world and be my witnesses because I want to reach the world. I want to reach the lost. That's to be your focus. So the church is supposed to be focused on how to live in our mission, our life together. And that's what I want to talk about today, looking at uh, the Hebrews chapter primarily, because this passage in Hebrews, it's so full because what he does is he gives us the gospel. He explains the gospel in all of its fullness. And he wants to build our confidence in the gospel. And then he takes us into what is now the results of that is this is how you should live as a church community. These are there's certain things he's going to tell us that should be the result of being people who are cleansed by the blood of Jesus and can enter into his presence um, with assurance. Okay, are you ready to get into the Bible here? Yes. Okay, I just get to get some water here. All right. So the book of Hebrews, you, you may, may, may be aware of this, it, the context, what seems to be happen, happening historically is that there's, this is a group of Jewish believers, Jewish Christians who are um, experiencing no small amount of persecution and intimidation from their opponents. And some of them seem to be inclined towards kind of reverting back into just Judaism or, um, or renouncing Christ out of fear uh, of being persecuted or harmed or whatever. And so the letter of Hebrews is really meant to be a confidence booster in the finished work of Christ and also an exhortation to make sure that one does not lose one's faith um, as things become increasingly difficult for Christians. It's a very relevant word for today. How many of you believe um, that things are going to get increasingly difficult even in the United States for Christians? 
Do you believe that? It's 100% certain. I think the trajectory has already begun. We're only at the beginning. Who knows what we're going to see? But we, again, we don't need to worry about focusing on the details. We need to focus on who are we and what is our calling in the midst of all that because God is faithful. And he already won the, he already won the victory. Amen. So that's what the context is. So verse 11, I want to comment on really quick. There was so much here. I was like, oh, I can't fit this in, you know, 30 minutes or something. But um, it says day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. He's talking about Old Testament priesthood again and again. He offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. And he's trying to say that the problem with the animal sacrifice system was that it could not inwardly purify a person. It, the, the problem of a fearful and guilty conscience still remained, even though there was ritual and ceremonial purity every time the Day of Atonement happened. There was still the problem of being fearful of God's wrath and judgment because uh, not obeying his law and having a guilty conscience. So that system couldn't deal with that. He's saying it was, it's not complete. Now, move down to verse 14. He says, for by one sacrifice... He, Jesus, has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Everybody say made perfect forever. Okay, made perfect forever. So Jesus, when he gave his life, he was exalted from the gruesome torture of the cross. He was exalted into the glory of heaven and he did not stand up. He sat down. Remember, he said the priests in the Old Testament, they stood up. They never sat down because it was a ministry that had to keep going over and over and over again. Jesus sat down. That means sacrificial system is done. It's finished because the perfect sacrifice has been made. The sacrifice that can make us perfect, cleanse us inwardly, purify us, cleanse our conscience of guilt, shame, and fear. That's been completed once and for all. Okay, so Jesus sat down. The work of that is the work of sacrifice is done forever. That's what he's wanting to establish. So when he says he has made perfect, he's the, the Greek tense that's being used there in the in the original language. It implies the timeless character of our having been established in right relationship with God. Isn't that awesome? So you don't have to worry about, you know, like, like there's not this like hell line that you uh, my, I had a seminary professor who demonstrated it this way to demonstrate an idea that was false. But when you are in grace, you're seated with him. He's made you perfect forever. You, your position is secured when you sin. You don't go down under the hell line. And then when you for, confess, you go back up and you're saved again. You're, you're damned again. Then you're saved. It doesn't work like that. He has cleansed you once and for all. OK, now I'm not that does not an endorsement for sinning. Clearly, we are the Bible calls us to live lives of holiness and purity, but that is something that God does in us over time. He's guarding us from falling back into a guilty conscience or the slavery of fear, trying to serve God out of a heart and a mind of a slavery of fear that if I don't keep all of his laws just right or if I fall short or if I fall into sin, I'm going to be struck dead. He's trying to guard us against that because he's saying when you do that, you're trusting too much in yourself and not in the perfect work that was accomplished on your behalf. Okay, so he's again, you see how this is a confidence booster for people who are struggling with their faith and and all the suffering that they're encountering. He's saying, don't don't fall back. Don't go backwards. Don't go backwards. Go forward in confidence. I love this quote from the old 
uh, 16th century, 17th century Puritan writer John Bunyan. Anybody read The Pilgrim's Progress? Yes, a classic. But John Bunyan said this. He wrote other things other than The Pilgrim's Progress, and he's speaking kind of like as, as this were the voice of the Lord. He says, Sinner, thou thinkest that because of thy sins and infirmities I cannot save thy soul. But behold, my son is by me, and upon him I look, and not on thee, and will deal with thee according as I am pleased with him. That's the gospel. That's what we call the substitutionary death of Jesus, that his perfect record is given to us in our nasty, stained, long record of sin has been taken care of, and it died when he died. Okay? Everybody get that? So, look at Jesus. Again, I'm not endorsing like being lax about sin and morals. I'm saying that when you fall short and you become aware of it, be quick to confess it and don't let the enemy condemn you and think that now you're doomed and now you have to work your way back into salvation because you have been made perfect once and for all. That's an amazing thing. It's hard to wrap your mind around that God is so gracious. This is why it's so important to be born again, to understand what it means to have the new birth, to, because so many uh, people believe that they're Christians, but they, they actually haven't experienced the new birth that actually makes us belong to Christ. They believe that uh, church attendance or good works or, you know, occasionally doing this or that or making sure that I appease God and make him happy with me and then calling myself a Christian is somehow I'm going to earn my way and God's going to reward me because I'm a good person when I get to heaven. But that's not the gospel. That's a, that's a, that's a deceptive teaching because we can't save ourselves. The gospel is that to be born anew of the Spirit is to renounce sin and to confess Jesus as Savior and Lord. And when that happens, your slate is wiped clean once and for all, and you are made a new person. You are made perfect forever. Does that, does that make sense? Now, okay, so the confidence thing has been established. That's what he's doing here. Now he's going to go into how should we live as the people of Jesus. Is my mic cutting in a lot, cutting in and out a lot? Okay, good. I thought maybe I heard it a few times. I didn't know if I needed some new batteries. Okay. Look at, uh, let's look at now, we're going to go to verse 19. Um, in, in the, the, you got the whole reading, the verses that are omitted from your bulletin um, for brevity. We got the whole reading from the lectern today, so you kind of heard what was in between there. But we're going to go to verse 19. You have it there in your bulletin. And he says, therefore, everybody say, therefore. Okay, here's a good a Bible a thing a lot of Bible professors will say. They'll say, if there's a therefore, you should ask, what's it there for? Okay, in the Bible, if there's a therefore, you should ask, what's it there for? There's a reason that that word is there. And in this case, it means since this is objectively true in the heavenly realms, that Jesus' sacrifice is complete and finished in those who belong to him, are now belong to God once and for all, and God views them with the purity of Jesus, since that's true objectively in heaven, therefore, what we should, we should experience that subjectively here and now. This should, this should be the results of that in how we live our lives together. And we're going to go through now these next few verses and look at the several things that he wants us to uh, see that we should be marks of our life to Together. So he says this too in that verse, or in verse, um, uh, verse 19, he says, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place, what is that? God's presence. Since we have confidence, now this is what our life together should be like. These are things that should be 
uh, marks of God's, uh, we could say, end times church. And you notice at the end of the passage, he says, all the more as you see the day approaching. Okay, so we could say this is how we live as the end times church. And it might be a little bit different than what you might expect. So number one, look at is from verse 22. This is point number one that should mark us as the end times church. Let us draw near to God. I want you to read that with me. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance. Okay, so again, he's reminding them you can have full assurance to enter God's presence because Jesus has made you perfect once and for all. So number one is that we pursue his presence above all else. Amen. You say amen to that. Number one is that we pursue God's presence above all else as the end time church. Everything else has to come out of that foundation. Okay. If you if you haven't experienced God's presence intimately and personally yet, you, you need to confess Jesus as Lord, put your faith in him and be filled with his Holy Spirit. And you will have the immediate direct witness of God's spirit that you belong to him and it will give you great joy. OK, we want to see invite people to do that in this church who have not had the opportunity to do that. So when we draw near to God, we do it with a full assurance and with a clean conscience, he says, our conscience has been sprinkled. Right. That's a kind of a picture of like the sprinkling of the blood from the Old Testament. But he's making a metaphor here of the sprinkling of the blood of Christ means we no longer have a guilty conscience when we come to God. That means that if you pictured heaven as a courtroom, that Satan, his name means adversary or accuser. That means that all of his accusations against you. Oh, look at that sin. Look at that nasty pride. Look at that fall into uh, into lust. Look at that mismanagement of money. Every accusation of Satan now against you, if you are in Christ, falls and dies at the feet of Jesus because he's already paid for it. And he's our mediator and our advocate before the father's throne. <laughs> That's the gospel. That's so good. That's so good. Now, how many of us have actually avoided prayer? We've avoided God's presence because of a guilty conscience. How many of us have felt like, ah, I can't pray right now because I blew it too much. And God is, God is thinking, oh, you need to wait it out a few days before I can talk to you. Okay. God's not like a grumpy spouse. Okay. I'm not saying mine is, my wife is like that, but, um, some might be, um, right where they need a few days before they can talk to you. God is not like that. As soon as you say, I confess my sin to you, Lord, cleanse me with the blood of Jesus. He, you're restored to fellowship with him. Okay. And he doesn't want us to keep lingering in guilt and shame. The thing actually is, is that confident fellowship with God is a safeguard against sin. Because when you're living life in his presence, you don't want sin. John Piper, one of my favorite quotes, sin is what we do and we're not satisfied in Jesus. So when you're close to him, you don't want the stuff that pulls you away from him because you value his presence above all else. So in sending his own son to die for us, our heavenly father was shouting, I want you in my presence. I want you here in my heart. I want you in the fellowship of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit because that's what I created you for so that I can pour my love upon you and you can reciprocate that love to me. That's what, e- what eternity is, is, is in that being in that love relationship with God. One of our core values at Church of the Good Shepherd is in all our gatherings, we prioritize his presence. And we, we want to be intentional about that. 
slowing down, taking time to acknowledge the presence of the Lord, to take some moments to worship him, to, rep, to, to uh, receive the Holy Spirit's presence in our midst. Okay, That's an important value at our church. Our worship, I just want to say on Sundays, make a comment, has been so powerful. I think um, I just have felt the Lord's presence drawing, drawn here. I just had this moment last week when I was up here behind the altar and I was worshiping and uh, the music team was playing the offertory song and I just like, oh my gosh, I felt like I was in heaven. I felt like I could have fall, fallen over. Like the anointing of the Holy Spirit. So God loves to dwell with his people. He loves to dwell with his people who are worshiping him from grateful, pure hearts, just longing for him. Okay, <clears throat> okay number two, uh, sort of a way of life for the end times church is in verse 23. It says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. Okay, what is what is the hope we profess? What is it? What's the hope? It's that Jesus is he's been victorious in conquering sin, death and the grave, and he's going to return and he's going to establish his kingdom on the earth. There's going to be a new creation and a heavenly city is going to manifest out of heaven called the new Jerusalem. And we're going to reign with him over nations for all of eternity. That's our hope in the joyful presence of God, as we read in our psalm this morning, in your presence is fullness of joy. And he has treasures and pleasures for you that you can't even conceive of in this life that put Disney World and make it look like playing in the mud. Okay? That is the hope that we have of life with him for all of eternity, to be face-to-face with Jesus, what the church fathers called the beatific vision, the blessed vision of being face-to-face with Jesus. Now, the problem is, is he has to tell us you need to hold unswervingly to your hope. Why? Because we're all going to face many things that cause us to question the faithfulness of God in our lives. We're going to face things whether we're going to we're going to wonder whether or not he's even hearing our prayers. There's going to be seasons of life where you wonder, is God, are you even listening? We're going to wonder whether following Jesus is ultimately even worth it. Or we're going to find out in the end that it was all phony and fake and we had wasted our life and we could have been out, you know, living lavish lives of indulgent pleasure. There are things and the enemy puts those kind of thoughts and assaults the church with those kind of thoughts. Right. We might be tempted to disbelieve that God cares Or to find comfort in fleeting pleasures. But you see, the other thing is this, that why we have to hold on swervingly. And that means like, do not get off path with holding on to this hope. This is a hope that you have to hold to tenaciously. The other thing is, is that, as we said a moment ago, the end time church will experience opposition in an unprecedented way. I believe that with all my heart. Now, the freedom that we have right now, it is glorious and praise God that we can gather without oppression and persecution right now in the United States. But I don't believe that freedom is going to last. And again, I'm not here to try to, you know, theorize timelines or things like that. But I I think that we see signs that are red flags of even things going on at a government level. Okay, if I could be political for a minute that are saying there's something going on, there's some real unhealthy grabbing for power in force, and it's not good. It's not healthy. Okay, but again, we need to celebrate the freedom that we have now, but we need to be prepared and be a people who are so unswerving in our faith and our hope in Jesus Christ that it doesn't matter what comes, that we will be faithful to him. Okay, this is not this is no longer a time to play church. 
right? I'm not saying that I'm not, that's not an accusation against anybody here. It's just there's too many churches that are playing church. I visit churches when I'm on vacation, and I'm like, I'm, I'm not trying to be condescending or anything like that, but I'm like, do you, do you even really believe, like, the glorious presence of God is in your midst? Because you kind of, I don't know, it's like entertainment concert. What's going on here? <laughs> but we cannot, we, this is not a season to play church or play dress up for Jesus or, or whatever. Um, now, I, this is the awesome part of this verse. I don't want us to miss this. It says, <clears throat> for he who promised is faithful. Okay, so he's calling us to fa- be faithful without swerving. But then he says, he who promised is faithful. So here's the thing. Ultimately, our faithfulness is to be rooted in his faithfulness. What he's saying is that God is a promise keeper who will never break his promises to you. Again, it's a confidence booster. God's not going to let go of you. Only you can make a decision to let go of him. It doesn't matter how bad you have messed up. It doesn't matter how guilty your conscience gets, how much you get weighed down with stumbling or straying. God's not going to let go of you. You have to let go of him. And he wants our confidence to be rooted in God's own faithfulness. So regardless of what we're experiencing or feeling in this life, the truth is that God is committed to us. He's like a father who's committed to his children, even, even when he allows severe trials to happen. The, the Bible is, is clear. Severe trials, God does allow them and sometimes sends them because what he's trying to do is purify our faith. He's trying to purify our relationship with him. He wants us to get to the point where we can say, what do you have, Jesus? What else do you have, Jesus? Well, I mean, what else do you have? I have Jesus. He wants us to be like that. All I have is Jesus, and he's enough. Is he enough? He's enough. <clears throat> it's funny, in the book of Acts, you know, when we, when I, I should say, when I experience persecution or suffering or whatever, I'm like, God, why are you letting us have, why am I having to go through this? When you read the book of Acts, their suffering, their persecution was way more intense than anything we probably ever experienced, and they never said that. You know what they did? It says they rejoiced and considered themselves blessed to be counted to worthy to suffer for the name of Christ. That's a that's a upside down principle that, that just needs to get a hold of us. They 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 said hooray, not where is God. <laughs> they, they 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 considered it a blessing to suffer with with and for Christ. Okay, so. Um, again, God is faithful. It's like you, you make a, a promise in marriage. You say, until death do us part. And God's promise is so strong that it even goes beyond that because God said even death won't do us part. That's pretty good. I just thought of that. <laughs> so I'll try that over here and see if they like it. No, it, but, it, but it's true, right? It's a beautiful truth there. That is that even death... God will not break his promise. He will not let death even keep us from his eternal love. Okay, number three is this. Verse 24 says, Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. So number three is, the end times church, we urge each other to continue in love and tangible deeds of goodness. This is a really important part of what it means to be a faithful believer because if we aren't growing in love for each other, we aren't following Jesus' greatest command. I give you a new command. 
love one another as I have loved you. Okay? Self-giving love. And also, if we aren't growing in our service to the body of Christ, we're drying up like a dead tree. That's what Jesus says in John chapter 15. He says, every tree that bears fruit, my father prunes it so it will bear more fruit. So this is kind of funny because sometimes in our mindset, we think, well, when I do enough good stuff, then I just kind of get to I get the blessing of just to kick back and be done with it. Right. But God's in God's realm. He when he sees uh, stewardship, when he sees people serving faithfully, the blessing is, is that he entrusts you with more responsibility in his kingdom. But you know what that means? It means more eternal treasure and reward for you. And those are things we can't even fathom right now. But it's a blessing from God. It means he trusts you and he gives you opportunities to, to increase your service to the body of Christ. I want to just take a moment to just thank you as a body for your faithful service to each other and to the wider church of the Good Shepherd and the community through the food bank because y'all are doing an awesome job. Y'all are doing an awesome job and I'm happy and I'm thankful. I'm so thankful. <clears throat> I was up here yesterday morning and saw people working at the food bank and it's just, you know, I, I don't get a chance to come up often on Saturday morning, but just seeing everybody up here just warms my heart, just serving the community in that way. It's awesome. Keep up the good work. Um, okay, number four, this is my final point. It comes from uh, verse 25. He says, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Okay, I think this is meant to be a very strong word. Um, it's relevant because during the COVID pandemic, when a lot of churches shut down, statistically, the church in the United States lost about a third of its worshipers. And those people have since not seemed to be worshiping online. That's through many polls and things, not even online. Okay. That's called pruning. Okay. For one thing, but this is an, this is a strong word to say it's important to be together. It's the body of Christ, not the finger of Christ or the hand of Christ or the foot of Christ. And the, the, in the ancient world, in the days when he, this letter was written, there was, uh, there was some people would have avoided public worship because one reason was out of fear of what the governing authorities in the Roman, Greco-Roman world would have thought and things like that and the possibility of persecution. So one was out of fear, but some, sometimes people avoided it just out of feelings of superiority. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't need the church to follow Jesus. Nothing could be more un, untrue um, because there's nothing in the New Testament. The New Testament knows nothing of a, of a Christian living out their life alone without the church. It, it, it's just, it's not possible. We need each other. And, and, and some people say, well, I've been hurt by the church and I just, I can't, I can't find the right church that, 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 that feeds me and I can't this and I can't that. And it's so hard to get up on Sunday mornings and, 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 and this, that, and the other thing. And God says, you, you, you actually, what you're doing is you're, you're, you're more focused on customizing your experience of church life than you are in yielding and submitting to a local body of Christ and being involved with it and going there to serve and to worship rather than to be served. Okay? Now, I believe that people should be fed when they come to church. I think spiritually we should be fed, and God does that. But so, so many Christians in the Western world, oh my gosh, we are in such a consumerist mentality. right? And so I, I've seen people come and go over the years. I've been here five and a half years. I've seen a lot of people come and go. And a trend that I notice um, is just that 
people sometimes are trying to customize their church experience, and if they can't get it just right to meet their needs perfectly, they, they move on. Okay, and I, you know, I'm not, this is not to, to, to uh, throw shade on anybody or to cast shade on anybody or smear anybody's name. It's just, it's a trend in the world today. And I think it's, you know, well, you've got 1,500 different online services you can pick from. You can click on this one. I don't like what he's saying. I'm going to try this one. I don't like what he's saying. I'll click on this one. So we're, we're programmed to think of church as a consumer experience. But we're called to gather together because um, church is not an activity but a body of people that we're called to be committed to. Have you ever thought about that? You're, you're called not to go to church just because the activity of or the life of the church meets some need of yours. You're called to serve a particular body of people at a local place. We're a family. And, we, and, and God wants to grow his family, his local families, and the different ways that they worship and stuff. And he wants to grow his family. And it's so important that we meet Okay, so mutual encouragement is the next thing that he says. He says the part, um, the reason that you need to uh, meet together is because you need to encourage one another. <clears throat> if you isolate yourself, that's like the greatest tool in the hands of the enemy is to get a Christian to isolate themselves. And I and I know that that people have have legitimately been hurt and burned by the church, and I, I sadly I I know that, and I have too. And the enemy can get you in a place where you go, you know what, church, be done with church. You don't need church. It's just you're just going to keep getting burned and you're going to keep getting let down. Well, let me tell you, that's probably true because this is a hospital for sinners. And we're trying to make our way to heaven by God's grace. And we mess up and we hurt each other and we say things that we shouldn't say and we do things that we shouldn't do. And we, do, we take actions that are intended to hurt one another. It can get nasty. But... But when we stay faithful to each other, no matter what, this is why we need to do that is because encouragement is something that is needed. Now, the word encouragement, it literally means like to instill courage in, right? In, in in Greek is in courage. Okay, so it's to 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 build one another up with greater and greater courage. Courage for what? to live the Christian life, to fight the good fight of faith, to follow Jesus with everything. So, you know, we need to have ministries of encouragement that's actually listed in the Bible as like a spiritual gift, encouraging other people. Did you know that, that you might have the spiritual gift of encouragement? Some of you have that. And that comes through just words of encouragement that you can speak to each other. That comes really powerfully through prayer, offering to pray for people. Like, hey, I noticed that this is going on. Can I pray for you about that? Right? That's a, and Paul talks about how prophecy, the gift of prophecy, is meant to encourage, console, and upbuild the saints. To build up the saints. So that's why we welcome the spiritual gifts and people who have prophetic gifts to be able to say, I feel like God has this in store for you or whatever. Um, those are means by which we encourage each other and build each other up. So when you leave on Sunday uh, morning, you should have more courage to follow Jesus in the week to come. That's, that's my hope and my prayer is that we encourage each other in that way. And I see a lot of that going on too. And it's a sign to me of increasing health. And so keep, keep that up. Keep praying for one another. Keep encouraging one another. Keep giving each other words if you feel that you have a word from the Lord for somebody. Okay. He says, all the more as you see the day approaching. He 
He's saying, guys, we need to take this stuff seriously because every day that we wake up and are given another day and breath is a day closer to the return of Jesus. And there's the danger of losing hope and losing courage and not meeting together and not encouraging one another and kind of growing stale in our relationship and falling away and turning away from God. And Jesus is going to return to judge the living and the dead. And Jesus' words over and over to his disciples were, be ready, keep watch, be ready for you do not know the day or the hour. The master wants to return and find his servants working faithfully in his vineyard, tending his garden, caring for each other, encouraging each other, growing in their faith, growing in their witness to other people about Jesus. And so drawing near to God, holding on to our hope unswervingly, meeting and encouraging each other's faithfulness should be something that we become increasingly committed to as a body of Christ. And I think that that's a, we could call that a biblical recipe for a healthy end times church. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, your word says that he who promised is faithful. So we recognize your faithfulness this morning to us. That we're not here in these pews this morning just because of our own thoughts and desire to come to church, but we're here because you put a little seed, you stirred something in our heart that was out of your desire, your love, that you wanted to draw us into your presence together. So we thank you, Father, for your tender love that you would uh, intentionally call out to everybody who's in this room this morning and to bring them here because you want them to come into your presence and to experience, to hear the gospel and to understand the implications of that good news for their lives. So we thank you, Lord, that you've drawn us here. And as we, Father, we move uh, into on in our service, we ask that you would just increase the measure of your Spirit's presence among us. Because we, we need you now, Lord, that the word has been preached. I ask that you, by your Holy Spirit, would just make it come alive to us, that we could enter into your presence with full assurance to joyfully worship you and thank you for the gift of your Son. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together and confess our faith this morning.